You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is Ken Smith. Your host, Certified Financial Planner with a Master's Degree in Financial Analysis and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, sitting next to my business partner and co-host, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Good to see you as usual. Good to be here. You're looking quite dapper today. I appreciate you dressing up for the occasion. Thank you for noticing. You're welcome. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. That is our objective, and Ethan will share with you how we can help you as an individual investor or a financial advisor out in the marketplace. Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you're an individual out there looking for some help, uh, maybe you're looking to retire and want to understand if you have enough money to do that, um, we would love to get together and discuss things in detail for you. Um, as you know, we've talked about our, our various approaches to retirement, and I don't think there's anybody out there that does a better job at coordinating your cash flow needs with your investments and your tax needs uh, into one comprehensive plan than us. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, give us a call and set up an appointment. I'd like to learn more about that. You can call us during the week at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. That is a number here to Empirical um, Nationwide. Give us a call and you can ask for Ethan Broga or Ken Smith. Mm-hmm. We'd be happy to talk to you personally. And uh, we're not going to pressure you to do anything other than try to give you some sound advice. And uh, what if you're a financial advisor, Ethan? Yeah, if you're a financial advisor, perhaps you're uh, uh, running your own own practice at this point in time. And uh, you, you understand that it does take a lot of work to run a business like this. And uh, if you're looking to maybe partner up with a very well-established firm that has a great reputation for doing the right thing for clients, uh, boy, we'd love to hear from you as well. Give us a call. That'd be great. Pick up the phone. Exactly. During the show today, as we're talking, Ethan and I like to just grab articles and uh, start dissecting various financial topics. And if any of it strikes your fancy, or um, yeah, before we, uh, we get uh, that, okay. real quick, I just wanted to. Uh, we have several yeah. um, presentations coming up. Sorry, oh, boy. No, this I is good to, stuff. I want to get us. Uh, if you are interested in attending one of our five secrets of retirement. Uh, success presentations coming up. We have several, several of them on the calendar in various on locations. The docket. There's one in Tacoma coming up uh, toward the end of this month. Oh, that's good. There's a couple in Anchorage coming up at the end this month and next month. We also have one scheduled for uh, Bellevue as well sometime in September. So go to our website, empirical.net, and look for uh, the information on these upcoming seminars if you'd like to come. You can reserve a spot right on the website. Just want to mention that. Well, that's great, Ethan. And um, if you're not in any of if None of those areas are convenient. You'd be happy to present them with a some sort of webinar? No doubt about it. Yeah, we yeah. can do it over over um, a go-to meeting or uh, something of that nature. It would work very well. So you can do it from the comfort of your home. Um, you don't have to leave it all, but we can connect via uh, inter, intercellular space, I guess, uh, or the interweb, as I call it. Ethan, um, oh, so if you do want to call us throughout the show, you can do that at 866 472 Five seven nine zero. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero, and uh, our man Simone will punch you right in. 
Um, Ethan, before we get into any of these articles, I, I like to at least acknowledge what's going on day to day. And today looks like it was a pretty rough day in the market, down 225 points on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah, it's significant. It's almost a percent and a half decline. What's going on? Uh, well, I, my understanding of the headlines anyway today were there were several companies uh, in the S&P anyway that uh, reported lackluster earnings. Stocks on course for uh, worst week in four months is one of the headlines I'm picking up here. Uh, stocks sunk over 1%. Um, markets on track for the worst week in four months. The Dow logged a 200-point loss as session opened and never recovered. Yeah. The loss appeared to be a combination of disappointing earnings reports and a continued fear that the Fed is about to begin tapering its bond-buying program aimed at stimulating the economy. Yeah. Among today's economic data, the Labor Department reported that weekly jobless claims dipped to their lowest point since 2007 mm-hmm. before the financial meltdown. The count came in at 320000 when expectations were for more than 330000 Well, that's a positive, right? Yeah, and in my view, of uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned there was the Fed... Uh, sort of dwindling down at stimulus, um, boy, in my view, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that means things are getting better, right? Yeah. So I don't take that as a terrible, terrible news. And the earnings stuff, obviously, uh, misses with Walmart or Cisco or whatever else uh, missed today. Um, well, it says... It's uh, great, but... Yeah, Walmart moved more than 2% lower after they reported quarterly earnings below. Analyst estimates, the world's largest mm-hmm. retailer... Made a dollar twenty-four per share for the period. A penny short. A penny short, Ethan. That's how uh, how intense investors uh, will react to these short-term earnings estimates. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, as a long-term investor, you really have to ask yourself: you know, does a penny short of expectations mean anything? Yeah. I would also add that boy, last month was pretty darn good. You know, coming out of uh, July, even the first part of this month. Uh, you know, stocks don't go up forever. It's natural to have some, some ups and downs. Although they did lower their profit and sales outlooks for the year, saying tough economies here at home and abroad are likely to keep squeezing its low-income shoppers. Kohl's, mm-hmm. like Walmart, had missed earning its estimates by a penny. Um, interestingly enough, though, the shares rose 5%. Companies said they made a dollar four. Expectations were $1.05. Um Another department store change at Dillard's rose 7% after beating estimates. Wow. So not everybody uh, is reporting below expectations. Right. Cisco fell 7% on the heels of its earnings, which were released after yesterday's close. Company's numbers are rather close to estimates, 52 cents a share. And, um, wow, they're going to lay off 4,000 workers because it believes the slowdown is ahead. But prior to today, Cisco was up 30% for the year. Wow. Here today. Red Robin, one of your favorites. Ethan, I know you like to do Clucks and fries. Clucks and fries all night long. Bottomless fries? Bottomless fries. That's it. That's yeah. incredible. I don't know. Their shares, I, I guess it's catching else? on because the shares were up 8% today. Well, they're they're doing something right there. They posted profits, 77 cents a share. Hmm. Revenue was under expectation. Um, but the number was still 6% higher than last year. It's pretty juicy, no pun intended. And tasty. Yeah. They haven't gone a long time. We used to go down by the water there. Yeah. Occasionally during the summer. Yeah, near the big wheel down there now. Well, Ethan, um, that being said, if these numbers are correct, which I hold in front of me, uh, year to date. <laughs> I'm sure they are. 
They don't put Braun. Always like to in. reference that. Yeah. Um, High confidence. The Dow's still up fifteen point three two percent for the year, year to date, which is so pretty tasty. Yeah. Um, S and P five hundred sixteen and a half percent. Large value ahead of large growth, uh, almost nineteen percent versus almost sixteen. Hmm. Small uh, growth, however, on the other hand, beating small value year to date, twenty four point seven to eighteen point five, respectively. Mm-hmm. The IFA um, international index up eight point three for the year, and emerging markets still down. About 10% now for year-to-date. Yeah. Gold down 18% year-to-date. Hmm. Five-year Treasury, 1.52%. 10-year Treasury, 2.77%. Um, those are both up slightly from last week when we did this on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, prime rate unchanged three and a quarter. Uh, average one-year CD up pretty much unchanged, about 0.58 on a national average. 30-year mortgage... So pretty low. Not bad, yeah. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Um, On the tips, if we look at those, at the break-even inflation rate for five years is 1.81 and 10-year treasury Hmm. 2.17%. All right, that's enough of the market update, Ethan. Fascinating. Um, My only advice, as it always is, is never make a change to your long-term strategy based on short-term market news or short-term market volatility, good or bad, mind you. That's good advice. All right, Ethan. Well, you know, you're always um, you're always very intrigued by the fiduciary discussion that goes on in the industry. And um, Lynn forwarded me two articles here. Uh, actually, one I, I believe Eric had forwarded, one of our, our, our director of research. Uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about it, let you run wild. Um, as this continues to evolve. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got a few minutes. Sure. One of them is look at who's locking horns over retirement accounts by one of our favorite uh, authors here that popped up in the Wall Street Journal, Jason, Jason Zweig. By law, a fiduciary like a doctor or lawyer must act in the best interest of his client and seek to avoid all material conflicts of interest. Investment advisors are required to act as fiduciaries, but stockbrokers and insurance agents generally are not yet. Mm -hmm. As early as October of this year, the U.S. Department of Labor is expected to propose new rules that would ensure that brokers and other securities professionals would act solely for the benefit of their clients when advising on individual retirement accounts. Those assets are a giant honeypot, Ethan. You hear the bees buzzing? With $5.41 trillion in IRA accounts, according to the Federal Reserve, yeah. the Dodd-Frank Regulation Law of 2010 authorized Securities and Exchange Commission to establish a, quote, no less stringent, unquote, fiduciary standard for brokers than the duties that the investment advisors must follow. We are an investment advisor, Ethan. Mm-hmm. How that will play, in case you didn't know. How that will play out may depend largely on the ferocious lobbying battle yeah, exactly. raging over the Labor Department's plan. It's uh, it's ferocious, Ethan. Yeah, I don't know how this exactly works. Oh, jeez. You know, I don't think that's really an overstatement, to be honest with you. I bet there is so much backroom stuff going on that that's 
Oh, yeah, a lot of backroom stuff. I mean, what kind of stuff happens in the backroom? There's tons and tons of lobbying going on because at stake, as this guy indicated, you know, it's a $5.4 trillion uh, industry, right, in terms mm-hmm. of the assets involved in these things. Uh, I mean, there's so much money out to be made and has been made over the many, many years that uh, they can propose whatever they want, but I'd be shocked if anything changes dramatically. Well, the period uh, for public comment on what the SEC rules should look like officially ended in July. Mm-hmm. The SEC staff, a spokesperson says, is carefully considering the comments we received and will coordinate with the commissioner on the next steps. The SEC won't say how long that may take. Meanwhile, the Labor Department is charging full speed ahead, Ethan, like a barreling train coming down the track at you, and raising hackles in the brokerage industry. The DOL, the DOL is clearly moving forward on the track that is inconsistent with where the policy should end up. Judd Gregg, the former Republican U.S. Senator from New Hampshire, who serves as chief executive of the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, Wall Street's main trade group, told me, it's a dangerously large expansion that will chill all kinds of activities. You've got to chill, Ethan. You've got to chill. All right. Mr. Gregg says it would be a disaster, a nightmare, if the DOL sets separate fiduciary standard for IRA accounts. So what he's saying should be, an, here's what he's saying a nightmare would be. It would be a nightmare, according to this, if, if stockbrokers and insurance agents had to put their clients' interests first when advising on individual retirement accounts. That'd be a complete disaster. You, you, you couldn't, according to your man, no one be selling annuities inside IRA accounts anymore. All of a sudden, or uh, heavily loaded mutual. What funds. are these poor brokers going to do for a living if they can't sell highly leveraged stuff? You know, highly, highly commissioned stuff at IRAs. I feel bad for those guys. I'm being sarcastic a little bit. Yeah. Well, maybe they could look into other job opportunities. Maybe. Um. Okay. Well. Looks like we've got a few seconds. I'd like to come back and finish <laughs> this article. All right. We'll come up with some better jokes while All we're right. gone. Uh, talk about this fiduciary bait that's going on, and we'll quickly see how this is going to turn out. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Here alongside Ken Smith. The Proganator. We're just tackling uh, an article here right before the break uh, entitled, uh, Who's Locking Horns Over Retirement Accounts by Jason Zweig. And uh, it has to do with basically the idea of being a fiduciary or not. And apparently the, the, the DOL, Department of Labor, is going to be proposing some new rules or regulations uh, about migrating in that direction, it sounds like. And I'd be very curious to see what happens with this. Well, yeah, it's been on the docket here for quite some time. Like like the article pointed out, uh, the Dodd-Frank Regulation Law of 2010 um, is what where this all really started and with giving the SEC um, the ability to establish a no less stringent fiduciary standard for brokers than investment advisors. And I, I don't know. I, I've got a variety of feelings about all of this, Ethan, but we're just charging through the article. Mm-hmm. And um, you had made a point. You know, as we were going into it, I, I was saying, well, the, the spokesperson for this Wall Street Association, the Securities Industry and Financial Markets Association, which we have nothing to do with, by right. the way, um, said it would be a disaster and it would be a nightmare. And we're saying, well, what he's saying is a disaster is that the industry be required, the brokerage industry be requ- and the insurance be required to put their clients' interests first. And so... If they really are perplexed on how to do that, it wouldn't. Um, I don't know where these monkeys are coming. Uh, okay, I guess what, the monkeys. I guess what Simon says: you don't have to be that smart to figure out that you can put someone's interest first and still make a profit. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of ways that we can do that, and we'll do our part. We can single-handedly change this industry, mm-hmm. um, Ethan. If the brokerage companies want to step away. From that, I think we could provide people with smaller amounts of money in IRA accounts with good advice without overcharging them or having to put their interest on the back burner. Yeah, I agree. And we don't. what he goes on to say is we don't think the DOL is moving forward in a way that's going to be constructive at all. It's going to be destructive, adds Mr. Gregg. The folks with small accounts are going to lose the ability to get advice, and their costs will go up. The heart of the matter, the heart of the matter, fiduciaries should avoid conflicts, but brokers are generally required only to disclose them. Having a completely conflict-free relationship doesn't work in practice. This is all a quote across most of the brokerage industry. Industry says John Taft, head of RBC Wealth Management. So I don't know if you're doing any business down with RBC, the, with RBC but. Apparently, the head of the group says having a, a conflict-free relationship doesn't work. He doesn't like that idea. Um, but if someone's um, interests have to be put, if there is a conflict, whose interest should be put first? My right. question. Sure. Um, which manages $250 billion down at that uh, RBC. For example, when your broker, when your brokerage firm underwrites an IPO or initial public offering, he and the firm earn a far more far more by selling some of those shares to you 
than by selling you something else. So when your broker buys you a bond out of its inventory from the firm, it's the same thing. Rather than on the open market, the firm also tends to make more money. Mm-hmm. More money, more money. Industry groups have argued that if brokers can't have conflicts, like earning higher fees on some investments than others, they will no longer be able to afford handling small accounts. So I don't know why selling a one security that pays more to the public rather than other, because small accounts don't get IPO shares anyway. They sure don't. Um, and I don't know how many small accounts are being sold to individual bonds, but then we got a whole other issue if that's what's really going on out of their inventory. Um, industry, industry groups have argued that brokers can't, uh, can't have any conflicts, like earning higher fees on some investments. Are, um, okay, where was it? The brokerage industry is saying, in effect, if you don't allow us to continue to give conflicted advice, we won't be able to give any assistant Secretary of Labor, Phyllis Borzi, who oversees retirement benefits, told me. But there are lots of people out there who are already acting as fiduciaries, and they're not bankrupt. They're making money. Labor Department officials can't comment on the details of the pending rule proposal, but Ms. Borzi says the agency and the SEC are working very closely to ensure their agendas don't clash. There are several possibilities, say legal experts, Advisors could be restricted from enticing retirees to sell one investment they already hold in order to buy another, says Tamar Frankel, a professor at Boston University who specializes in fiduciary law. Arthur Labia, securities law professor at Rutgers University, suggests that brokers could be permitted to fill orders for individual investors for their, from their firm's own inventory only for readily marketable, highly liquid securities and that firms could be prevented from paying their advisors more for selling in-house products. Hmm. There's no mileage in it for anybody to come up with a rule that is unduly burdensome, Ms. Sporzy says, but when people rely on experts for advice on what is probably the biggest chunk of money they've ever had in their life, the advisors have a responsibility to work for the client's best interest and not their own. Meanwhile, ask your advisor, Do you or your firm earn more money from recommending this investment? Can you suggest a similar, cheaper way of accomplishing the same goal? Investors can always act as their own fiduciaries just in case their advisors aren't. That's uh, the article here from Hmm. Zweig. You had pointed out something that, you know, this would have ended a long time ago if we could have got the public to be more outraged about the... Um, conflicts that go on within the, the industry. But I don't know that it's entirely the, the public's fault because, I mean, you said, well, usually it's after someone loses money when they start educating themselves on these on, on whether they were properly addressed by the advisor but also the company. Mm-hmm. And then it winds up in a suit where they're trying to recapture. And if they've done a little more diligence initially, they could have avoided the whole situation and avoided that. And if enough people avoided it, mark my words down here, Ethan. All right. Um, once the brokerage firms are forced to become fiduciaries or to act, and they will act like it was their idea. That not only that, but they'll act like they've been doing it all along. Right. And instead of nobody will remember that they were putting millions of dollars into lobbying to avoid having to put the client's best interest. 
And they will act like, again, it was their great latest and greatest idea that they've always wanted to do it. I've seen it now. We read very frequently on show how um, these companies are being sued for unscrupulous behavior. Right, one thing or another. And if you look at their website, you'd think they're connected to Mother Teresa, you know, some other very noble organization. <laughs> Um, and all the charitable things that they do in the community and, and around the world and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, they're ripping people off left and right. Um, matter of fact, I had another article here. We'll come back on this fiduciary thing. B of A's amazing paper saver mortgage <laughs> right. uh, is also in the Wall Street Journal, the personal finance section by Al Lewis. Someone claiming to uh, to own a housekeeping company applied for a $744,000 mortgage at Bank of America. If you've ever cleaned a house, you know it's all about the big money. Any loose change you find in the couch is yours. The loan applicant claimed earning $753,000 a year. Bank of America didn't ask for a copy of their tax filings. It wasn't clear until the customer defaulted that Bank of America learned A, house cleaning doesn't pay so well, and B, the house cleaning company didn't even exist. Oh my this gosh. is but one of several lending follies enumerated in a lawsuit the government finally filed last week. Why has it taken them so long, by the way, to file these lawsuits? Against none other than Bank of America, who's connected to Merrill Lynch. That's their investment arm now. Mm-hmm. They're publicly... Uh, brokerage company that gives advice, alleging the sort of reckless lending that put the entire U.S. economy into a funk from which it is yet to recover. These loans were made at a time when banks thought everybody deserved a million-dollar home. Someone who claimed to make 360000 a year operating a landscaping company applied for a $960,000 loan. After the inevitable, inevitable default, Bank of America learned, A, lawn mowing doesn't pay that much, and B, this company didn't exist either. But Bank of America was just trying to save paper. These mortgages share many of the same characteristics of the now infamous subprime liar loans, although defendants misleadingly referred to them as paper-saving mortgages. The government's complaint alleges. What made Bank of America behave so irresponsibly? Was it the Pesky Community Reinvestment Act? No, it was what the bank itself called the originate-to-distribute model, according to the lawsuit. The bank made loans to any warm body it could find, bagging fees and commissions. And then it sold these loans to investors. Hang on a second, real quick. Bagging more fees and commissions. So if you were a fiduciary, you're... You, you they could, were double bagging. You couldn't do that. You could, Bank of America couldn't do that if they were acting as a fiduciary, or if they were fiduciaries. They, wouldn't, they would not be able to do what they just described in this lawsuit here. You know, well, this is interesting because the people who applied for the loans clearly lied and were deceptive. True. So you have two parties here. You have Bank of America, who is all more happy to process these bogus loans, not doing any real work to verify the income. Which, by the way, every time I've ever wanted a mortgage, it seems like I get run through a ringer. I don't, I don't know where this stuff comes from, but I've never been willing to lie about my income sure. either. So I guess they were more than willing because their objective is to get extract out the the fees and the commissions and quickly get it off their yeah. They once they close the mortgage, they sell the mortgage. They sell it to other investors. So there's they're not the one carrying the risk, carrying the risk exactly. of it going, knowing that these are bad loans. My point is, I wouldn't want somebody to be managing my personal investments that in one part of their organization 
is consistently engaging in fraud, basically, or irresponsible behavior, which ultimately gets gets passed on to the entire community, the taxpayers. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, borrowers lie to the bank, and the bank simply passed their lies on to the investors, the government's lawsuit and claims. That's how money was made. And trust me, I don't need this article to tell you, Bank of America was not alone in this. About every major bank faces these sort of allocations. Last week, the nation's largest bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, who also loves to give investment and financial advice, by the way, indeed, disclosed it was under both civil and criminal investigations. A variation of this originate-to-distribute model has long been a favorite of unscrupulous used car dealers. Take junk cards on junk cars in on trade-ins, unload them on unsuspecting customers, and if the engines blow, it's someone else's problem. Bank of America employees knew this was going on, but they were told to keep their opinions to themselves. The government's complaint says, bosses told them their jobs weren't to look for fraud, but to basically validate the loans. Bank of America denies these characterizations. Of course they do. It didn't cause... Oh, you know what? We've got to take a quick break, Ethan. Okay. And uh, we'll get back to this and other topics. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. 
Just wrapping up an article uh, from the Wall Street Journal entitled uh, B of A's Amazing Paper Saver Mortgage. It's a little little funny article, actually. Uh, yeah, and I just came right before or at the break or right after the break. Uh, we were just talking about this, and you know, it's still I'm, I'm still surprised. I don't know why, but I, I still am surprised that people choose to do business with with companies like this. I don't. It's me, boy, I, and I have a brokerage relationship someplace. I, I would move somewhere else, take my money somewhere else, and do business with folks who who don't engage in this type of activity. Yeah, I don't. There's there. Contrary to what the brokerage industries industry is saying, that you can't get good advice if they're not allowed to give conflicted advice. Right. I don't believe that at all. Nor do I. We're here screaming from the tops of the, the building top here. Oh, the soapbox. Yeah. Um, there are plenty of ways to get good advice, uh, regardless of how mu- much money you have to start with. And um, you don't have to get screwed, basically, because you don't have a lot of money. And the brokerage business, like I said, they're not going to go out of business if they have to start being more ethical in how they approach people. And, you know, ethical can be argued here because even when they're not breaking rules, the conflicts that exist, um, you know, they could say, well, we're following the rules. Well, the rules need to be changed. Exactly. That's my point. It doesn't make it more ethical because right now it's not it's not prohibited to give conflicted advice or to sell someone an investment that's not better for the for the person receiving it, but better um, for the person selling it. Mm-hmm. To me, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't you know? And um, I think the, what's what's causing any advancement in that industry on that side it's it's always been either the public voting with their dollars that quickly I mean you've seen it a move away from these incredibly high commission or transaction oriented to mm-hmm. more of a fee only type of arrangement mm-hmm. um, but there's still a lot of conflict built into that system into the bank and the brokerage system so I still think right now the independent registered investment advisor is the best place not that there are aren't any issues in in that model either among certain advisors or whatever, but I still believe it's the best place to go to get independent advice mm-hmm. um, with the least amount of conflicts, I guess you could say. Yeah. And that comes back to this whole fiduciary thing that you've talked about and how you feel about that. Right. Yeah. All right. I wonder what was going to meet, lead to changes here. I don't know if, uh, I mean, Clearly, the guys who are selling the stuff would be earning less money, right, if, if it was a, a fiduciary environment. Um, so, therefore, I, I really expect it's going to be a long – it may never, ever happen because there's so much lobbying going on behind the scenes here to, to make sure the rules don't change that much, um, even though it is the best thing for, uh, I think, for all individual investors out there to work in a, in a less conflicted model, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, Ethan. All right, moving on. Let's move on. What else we got here? Oh, this article about the dark side of higher yields. You know, it continues to be an issue. Low interest rates. Right. Yeah, it's the uh, article in the Wall Street Journal again. The dark side of higher yields. Again, your man's wag. He's everywhere. <clears throat> yeah, he's really prolific in his writing. Um, <laughs> he's talking about master limited partnerships. 
they're publicly traded energy firms that offer steady high income. <clears throat> Many people crave. They've been hotter than a well-head fire. <laughs> it's hot. That's pretty pretty toasty. Pretty darn hot. Um, and it makes me kind of sad when you see this because you see money just very fickle flows of money around the marketplace from particular funds that temporarily do well or you know going into them or if they temporarily are doing poorly flooding out of them if it's a particular asset class stocks bonds cash whatever we're all very quick to just move our money in and out and throw it in different directions without really understanding why mm-hmm. other than well this is what's what's happened recently right um it's very it seems it's very hard for us as investors to stay focused on a long-term strategy designed to get you through a, a lot of different interest rate market environments and um and so again i've said this repeatedly wall street is all too happy to create inventions that will take your dollars and solve yesterday's problems um so investors should proceed carefully, it says, however, they might get scorched. Lured by generous quarterly cash payouts, investors poured nearly $8 billion into mutual funds and exchange trade products specializing in MLPs in the first half of 2013, Wow! according to Morningstar. More than one quarter of the roughly $26 billion in the total assets at these funds has arrived since December 31st. What was that? A raging fire? Scorching? MLP's returns have been strong. Over the decade ended July 31, MLP's generated an average return or income plus price changes of 16% annually. U.S. stocks overall, as measured by the S&P 500, returned an average of 7.6. Wow. Now, 10 years ago, um, we could point out other diversified asset classes that have done well over various 10-year periods relative to others. Sure. So, for example, comparing the S&P to MLPs over a particular 10-year period isn't any different, really, than comparing CDs to to gold over a period of time, right? They're just different investments. Mm -hmm. We would expect different investments, once we've accounted for the appropriate amount of risk that they're taking, to have 10-year periods where they do significantly different. But what may not be the greatest strategy, Ethan, is jumping into one of them after it's doubled the return of the other (laughs) after 10 years. (laughs) That may not a a less-known fact. (laughs) Wait, you're telling me I don't want to buy high? I'm just saying it it may not be the best idea. Right, right, sure. Don't buy, don't buy. If um, Exactly. Get our friend Jim Cramer online, too, here. That's funny. Um, Although I can see Jim Cramer suggesting something like that, uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all. The Allian, M- the Allian MLP index, a widely followed benchmark, has a yield of 5.7%. That is juicy. More than double the interest income on a 10-year treasury and triple the dividend on the S&P. Many analysts expect those yields already extraordinary in a world of rock-bottom interest rates to rise steadily over time as the energy boom picks up speed. MLPs provide a regular stream of cash payments that have kept up well with inflation and often are largely exempt from current income tax. Historically, MLPs haven't moved in sync with the S&P 500. Enabling investors in these firms to reduce the riskiness 
of an all-stock portfolio. Yet even bullish analysts are worrying that the risk has begun rising among MLPs as money pours in, driving up valuations and pushing down the quality of some offerings. An earlier generation of MLP investors lost most of their money in the mid to late 80s when oil prices collapsed, recalls James Murchie, founder and portfolio manager at Energy Income Partners in Westport, Connecticut, which manages $4 billion. If you wanted to launch an MLP in the 1990s, you had to be Albert Schweitzer, wrapped inside Albert Einstein, he says. But now, so much money is flowing in that mistakes are easier for investors to make. Yeah, but that's true. Yeah, yeah. In, in expectations have climbed so high that small missteps can send an MLP tumbling. I think what people forget about, Ethan, without reading everything in this article is that anything that generates a better-than-treasury type of return, the market should be pricing, there should be some risk involved. Right. If it was as safe as a treasury, it would be hard to believe that the return, you know, here we're talking about 16% of the last day, that that would be possible with no risk. But I think this idea of recency, where we have this psychological tendency to take whatever's happened recently with a particular investment and project it indefinitely into the future gives us a false sense of confidence mm-hmm. that the risk doesn't exist. And it happened with technology stocks. Great. And I, after year after year of hot performance, there was very little perception of risk in people that I was meeting personally, one-on-one, saying, hey, there's a lot of risk, not just in owning the whole category, but some of it was you have a lot of money in one stock. And they perceived it almost like I was speaking a completely different language. What do you mean risk? There's no risk here. All this thing does is go straight up. I love it. <laughs> you know, the real risk is what you're suggesting. And I put into a bunch of diversified funds that haven't done 30% a year. Right. That's the risk. You're crazy. Get out of, get out of here uh, until it's too late, right? And then it was real estate. Oh, yep. real estate's not risky. I got burned in the technology stuff, but I'm going to start putting buying properties. I'm going to put my money into real estate. There's there's no risk there. And then it was gold, right? It, and so all we're saying is, you know, here we're not trying to make you feel anyone feel, but, but we should be opening our eyes to this and, and saying, hey, here we go again. Now it's MLPs. There's a reason why they yield a lot, you know, and it can't do that. They they wouldn't do that. Why would anyone give up more return than they have to? You just you wouldn't. And so there's risk there. And just because the risk hasn't emerged just yet, you need to be prepared. And I'm not saying that a portion of your portfolio wouldn't make sense. We've looked at these now for quite some time. Right. Uh, that that maybe they're you know the problem I have with them is they're very industry concentrated. Right? That's the nature of them. Yep. So you're getting a very narrow focus, and we wouldn't do that just to get an increased yield. We wouldn't buy one stock just because it paid a high dividend. Right. Um, we can't sacrifice the other principles of smart investing because, one, the yield is very positive. What Agreed. do you have to say about that, Ethan? Obviously, I agree with that. I mean, agreed. Yeah. To sacrifice diversification or other things that that are proven to work over a long period of time doesn't make any sense in this case. Uh, so we've said that before on the show. I, I agree 100%. The expenses in getting access to diversified buckets of these through mutual funds or ETFs, 
is substantially higher than what we pay when we build portfolios for investors with other ETFs or funds. It's about 1.44% the average mutual fund and about 0.82 for the average ETF. Um, so, for example, you could buy an ETF holding energy stocks for 0.14. Um, so the higher yield makes it easier to disguise the higher fee, but over time we know that those higher fees will grind away at the return. But you know what higher fees don't do, Ethan? They don't reduce risk. Right. So you have the risk of the decline compounded with that higher fee every year. Right. Looks like there's also uh, you know, tax issues as well with these types of things too, which should make them less attractive relative to other, other types of investments. It's a lot more complicated, um, which may require additional costs in getting your tax preparation done. All right. Do you have anything else to say about that? I really don't. I think we're ready to move on. No, let's move on. This is not exciting. It's not fantastic. How about this five ways you can really mess up your retirement? These articles seem to pop up every week. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, let's talk about one of those. Why don't you talk about it? But first, let's take a quick break. Okay. And we'll talk about it in the last segment. I think that sounds great. All right. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's the last segment. Uh, we have about nine minutes or so left in the show. Uh, just lastly, if you'd like to, to reach us, uh, feel free to give us a call at 866-472-5790. Or, again, if you'd like to get together and perhaps uh, discuss your investments, your retirement plan, your tax plan, uh, we'd be happy to, to get together one-on-one and do that with you. You can reach us here at the... Uh, the Empirical Headquarters in Seattle 
at 206-923-3474. And uh, we have just one more article, it looks like, for today. Um, it's entitled, uh, Five Ways You Can Really Mess Up Your Retirement by Brett Ardens, uh, from the, again, from the Wall Street Journal. And the first one on the list is, is Social Security, which I, I always uh, find very interesting to talk about. Uh, but uh, let's go through some of the article here. Do you really find it interesting, Ethan, or are you just saying that? No, I really do. Oh, okay. As you know, it's one of the one of my one of my first things in the uh, our uh, five secrets of retirement success program. We we start with Social Security uh, because there's lots of ways. Kind of the I don't know if messing up is the right word, but take or people decide suboptimal upstop. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, uh, suboptimal ways to take Social Security. A lot of times they'll take it earlier versus when when waiting might well it might be the best thing for them. Um, and I think it really relates to for a couple of reasons. One of those is uh, particularly if you're married. Not understanding the the idea of joint life expectancy versus individual life expectancy, right? Uh, which is one issue. Um, if you uh, understand that the joint probability of one of you living longer is greater than either one individually, well, it'll certainly will shape when you decide to take Social Security. Because if you run the numbers, um, odds are better than not that you'll live well beyond the break-even age, uh, particularly on a joint life expectancy basis. That's exactly right. And then also, the, there's a couple of switching strategies available to most, uh, well, to anybody who's married, anyway, that uh, are, are really uh, infrequently known. I, I give that, that presentation fairly frequently and often ask uh, if people have heard of these strategies. And most of the time, people say no. And these are people who are retirement age. You know, um, They weren't aware of the options. They were just going to take it at 66, and that was it. Not aware of either the file and suspend or the restricted applications that are available for married folks. So pretty interesting. So yeah, I do. I, I really do take it to heart. We spend a lot of time um, understanding the rules, and so we can help guide individual investors to make better decisions with this particular um, asset as they head into retirement. I like your style, Ethan. You know, um, when it comes to uh, Social Security in, in a case of a divorce, um, how does that work? Yeah. If, if if one of the if you um, what what things should someone be aware of if they're recently divorced, but they're getting near that Social Security decision? Yeah, actually, I met with somebody. Is yesterday. that a mistake that gets or yeah. something people overlook or don't it, consider? Exactly right. So, um, in in in, a, in the case of a person I was meeting with, a relatively new client of ours, uh, we were meeting yesterday uh, and talking about their options for Social Security, and I had asked for the Social Security earnings record for for him and his ex spouse. And I was able to figure out, well, what's the optimal situation, uh, way to take Social Security? And it turns out that in this case, um, his plan basically was to, to work till, till 70 and just take Social Security at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he didn't know is that because he was married for over 10 years to his wife, who also worked you know, and qualified for Social Security independently, um, he qualified under her earnings record as well. Uh, so what the optimal strategy is, obviously, is to, to take file for Social Security at 66 but restrict your your application to your ex-spouse's earnings record. So basically, you received uh, a Social Security check from your ex-spouse's working record. Okay. Deferring his own until age 70. He didn't know about the strategy, but what it means in terms of dollars, you'll end up getting about $52,000 from Social Security over that four-year period of time. They otherwise was just going to give up. Uh, his wife uh, uh, is full retirement age per Full retirement age benefit was about $26,000 a year. He's entitled to one half of that uh, at his age 66, basically. So, that so he's very surprised to learn that, no, no doubt. And, uh, I mean, geez, 
who doesn't like getting money. And interestingly, it doesn't affect uh, his ex-spouse at all. So it doesn't affect her, no negative, her uh, benefits whatsoever. They're completely independent of each other. So he was concerned about that because they have a very good relationship. And I was able to just communicate, hey, there's nothing to worry about here. It's just something you should do. Nice work. Thank you very much. Thank you. But obviously, it's good news to bring. Uh, I mean, we're going through the retirement plan and things, and obviously it helps out when you have those sorts of benefits uh, ironed out in, in, in detail and understand thoroughly the rules around them. Well, that's why I wanted to bring it up, Ethan. I know you're on top of those types of things, and uh, something our listeners should be aware of. So what else here in the few minutes? They're talking about big mistakes. I mean, these are all pretty arbitrary, but uh, I can agree that some of these are mistakes. Splurging on big-ticket items. Uh, I know you have some fancy items at your place. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. Uh, Hold on a second. I do have a legi- <laughs> I do have a 2007 Camry, if that's what you mean. Oh, it's luxurious. <laughs> it does luxurious. have leather. It's interior. big ticket. Oh, that's funny. Um, but yeah, let's see here. I I do I I can relate. We've done a lot of uh, we've had a lot of experience with with clients going into retirement and. It says new retirees suddenly, suddenly find that they have all the time uh, for those projects they never got around to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's easier for them to throw money into remodeling projects or other projects because now they have the time to think about it. They're kind of bored. And, um, you know, you're hanging out on the weekend. You do find things to go, oh, maybe it would be nice if we did some of this, maybe a little sure. of that. Um, so, yeah. The same argument goes if they run out and buy a big boat or a new car or a bigger home. Um, and so that that could derail a plan, particularly coupled with a difficult market environment at the onset of your retirement. So having a little bit of control around that. And one of the ways that I've been working on, Ethan, and mm-hmm. writing about is really a concept of dividing out, a, developing a, a, a budget in re- as you're going into retirement, that you say, hey, I can live within this budget. And now, here are my financial resources to to fund that budget. Um, and having some emergency, emergency cushion, you know, a little room for flexibility, as you like, mm-hmm. uh, around that. But then saying, hey, if I've got financial resources in addition to that, well, why not splurge or do a remodel or have some fun or, or like you buy a fancy luxury Camry or whatever it is? Um, you you don't have to feel bad or feel anxious because that's something I've seen a lot as clients. Sometimes they're overly conservative and they don't live the life because they're so stressed about, hey, will I run out of money or will I not have enough money? Where, you know, they don't even want to go to Wendy's to get a you know a sandwich or whatever. And um, I know you're there three, four times a week. Well, I do like like Wendy's, or you know, like we were saying, uh, the Red Robin, some clucks and clucks and fries, fries. delicious. But um, you know, I, I I think that's one of the one of those intrinsically difficult areas of value of planning that it's hard to get your arms around the real dollar and cents value. But it's there, and that is really knowing and and being comfortable that hey, I can I have the amount of money I need and the resources and I have that invested in perfect alignment with that and decisions I'm making about social security, other pension income, Mm -hmm. IRA accounts where I'm putting assets. If I'm converting some to a Roth or how I'm managing my tax, all that's 
organized and aligned to be as efficient as possible. The allocation of investments is properly aligned to my income needs. And then I can separate some of those additional uh, surplus items. Hey, I'd like to give more to charity. Or in the, I mean, I've heard, you've heard that. We've been in meetings together. Hey, if I thought I could, I, I would love to do more while I'm alive mm-hmm. to give back to the to things that, and causes that I care about. Right. Um, or if I thought I could, yeah, I would maybe go to get a couple of collect some fries occasionally. Treat yourself um, right. So now we're running out of time here today, Ethan, but that's all part of the financial planning process, and I think it's uh, very valuable. And if you want to give us a call throughout the week, we'd be happy to help you. 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or you can email me directly, ksmith at empirical.net. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with Empirical Investing Radio. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Thank you.